Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of The Combat Chain. I'm your host, Patrick Shaw, and I'm joined as always uh, by Adam Filichuk. Adam, a man I finally saw in person this weekend. Adam, how you doing? Doing great, Pat. Uh, it's good to be back. I know we uh, we kind of missed a couple weeks just between uh, Pro Tour and everything. But mm-hmm. yeah, and uh, not only are we back, but we've got uh, a very special guest with us uh today as well we've got Tarek patel with us here today Tarek, how's it going it's going great you know got back from jersey which was one hell of a fun time uh spent about a week up in jersey with with our team uh matt rob uh nick and i and the next day you know my work called me up was like we we moved around your schedule and you have to be in monday morning so i finished the calling went straight from the venue jumped back on a plane and i swear to god it's like living a double life sometimes you know, you come back from a week of just talking nothing about flesh and blood. And I was sitting there on at 8 a.m. the next morning on Monday, you know, being only 12 hours prior being in, in New Jersey, you know, just filling, finished a calling and flying out. I'm like, is this still real life? I felt like I was in the Matrix and dissociative. But uh, yeah, this week's been good. Kind of going through withdrawals, but uh, happy to be back in Florida where it's nice, sunny and warm. How How is that juggling uh, the the double life so to speak how do, how does that how does how does Tark Patel handle all that because we know that you are you know you are a uh, you are a medical professional you are a doctor by by trade uh, and you're but like most everyone knows you at, you know in this in this circle as you know a prominent flesh and blood player so it seems like you spend so much time doing the flesh and blood thing but you know that you know that is a, a obviously a, an incredibly time consuming occupation in itself how did how do you how does juggling that feel to you these days yeah i'm not gonna lie it is tiring but i, I love it you know i'm the type of person that i always need to be doing something i can't stay home and and kind of just watch tv or, or do whatever i have no chill much to my girlfriend's dismay so I personally love it. You know, I am honestly the happiest when I'm chasing that metaphorical carrot. It is a weird thing to really think about, but like, even though I know some of my goals and some of my aspirations are kind of superfluous in in certain ways, I I like it too much because I feel like, uh, you know, there's a common saying, the idle mind is a devil's playground. And, you know, I really tend to believe that's true. I think if I sit still long enough, that's when kind of the negative stuff starts coming. So I love to just be go, go, go. Um, I get burnt out from time to time, but honestly, I, I love it. So it doesn't feel like I'm juggling too much. It feels like just the amount of uh, right work on my plate. So I'm happy with what I do, and I'm happy with flesh and blood, and I wouldn't change anything. So Now that is the present. I want to know a little bit about the past. No one on the combat chain escapes the origin story. I want to know, who are you, and how the hell did you get here? Yeah, for sure. So... My name is Tarek. I uh, was born and raised in Canada in a small town called Milton, Ontario. It was a very rural kind of town growing up. It's about 30, 40 minutes west of Toronto. i uh, gotten a lot larger now. Uh, probably gonna, I'm going home actually in July for the first time in almost a decade. So, But I've been talking to my brother and apparently I won't even recognize it anymore. It turned it from a small you know, farming town to you know, just a larger part of Toronto. It's kind of got swallowed up as my brother tells me. So looking forward to go back home there. 
I got into trading card games probably early 2002, one, three, like in the, when I was about 10 years old, uh, I started out with the Yu-Gi-Oh card game, uh, trading card game. Went to my first regionals during the prolific uh, GOAT format, or I guess the format right before that, if you guys know anything about that game. So that was kind of my first foray into card games in general. And then from there, I met, you know, a lot of staple friends, some that I have to this day. Uh, Omar Belden, specifically, one of one of the guys I pro in my uh, in my Magic uh, testing group. Uh, we still play a lot, still talk daily. Um, and he actually transferred over to Magic the Gathering, and then I myself moved over to Magic. But uh, they never really played consistently because of academics. Uh, I was in and out of university, med school, and so forth. So... Um, every time I qualified for a pro tour or, you know, had a Grand Prix success, it was kind of followed up with a very long hiatus, um, months between. Um, and so I was playing magic on and off for years. I, I had some minor success on the SCG circuit, um, and so forth. But, uh, when flesh and blood came out, you know, it was during that whole COVID, uh, you know, time lapse bend that we all kind of experienced in 2019 till now. It's funny because even looking back on it, I'm like, I feel like the last three years flew by. Like it almost seems like 2019 was yesterday, and I have to like, oh my gosh, it's almost 2023, right? 2022 is almost halfway over, if you can believe that. So I heard about Flesh and Blood, uh, you know, about eight nine months ago. Now it was last summer, so I guess we're coming up on a year. I thought it looked really interesting, but. We were right in the middle of a pandemic. Work was really picking up, and I couldn't quite get into the road to Nat season that I wanted to play in. But I'd ordered a chain deck. I thought, this is going to be great. I'm going to learn the game. It looks so fun. And um, so the calling Vegas happened. Chain ended up winning. I'm like, okay, cool. I, I got the right deck. By the time all the components of my deck came in, it was a week later. Tales of Mafia just kind of uh, – the pre-release just happened. I played my first real-life event, and then the deck got banned. So from there, the rest is history. I kind of played the next two limited callings. I came ninth at the first one in Dallas, came second at the second one in Cincinnati, uh, thanks to the convincing of a lot of uh, friends of mine who convinced me to go. And uh, that ended up calling me, qualifying for me for nationals, and, and the rest was history. So that's a quick little synopsis of my entire life leading up to Flesh and Blood right now. And on top of that, you're just coming off of uh... – a win on in a port pro quest yesterday um you're you're going I, I assume you're going to lee now and saving the pti for worlds yeah i was probably going to go to uh lil either way i'm not the kind of person that really saves invites i play games to play them quite frankly right so i had to use a pti actually to play nationals which a lot of people told me i was crazy to do in the first place but for me uh, it's not about it's not even about winning as weird as that sounds you know even when i played magic when i played other games or even in my day-to-day -day life anything i like to do i like to do to the best of my ability and i have this like weird it's not like like a weird ideal or goal where you play like a perfect tournament right and it's like I, I've never actually done it, right? Even even events I do really well, I top at even nationals when I won. There's always been mistakes, and for me, it's like chasing almost like a high of perfection. Where like you know, I, I sometimes say to myself, you know, the best events I've ever played are some of the worst events that I finished at, and and that just happens, right? It's completely normal to to lose in in card games just due to variance, even if you've done nothing wrong. But for me, it's like I want the opportunity to play on a high level. 
regardless or not if it's the highest expected value you know play overall because I, I think that's a silly way to live your life i enjoy just being there and competing so I, even if i didn't win the pro quest uh yesterday i would not be the type of person to skip lil just to play at worlds no that makes that that makes sense um just you know it's about the journey not the the outcome what was your gold foil uh i'm gonna be honest i haven't opened it i was actually thinking about tweeting out you know taking a twitter poll and, and seeing if people wanted me to open it versus get rid of it closed um i was thinking you know i might just hold on to it for years to come just as like a cool keepsake and you know maybe four years down the line if they stop doing gold foils it'd be kind of cool to have an unopened gold foil in my possession that like nobody really knows uh like what it is but the the flip side to that is i guess there's only a finite number of these and you know if they really become rare and coveted people will probably start mapping it out and they'll be like okay this these many are accounted for so you probably have this common gold foil and we don't really want it. So it goes both ways. So I'm, I'm thinking about maybe holding on to it, leaving it unopened for four or five years and seeing what happens versus selling it or, or opening it. But I don't really know. Maybe I'll leave it to the public opinion to decide for me. Don't suppose there's any chance we can convince you to open it here right now? Uh, not right now. Mostly because my <laughs> camera is not working because I'm on mobile. But... If I was on camera, I, I would do that for you guys. So maybe uh, uh, maybe we can maybe we can film it after, or I can send you the video exclusively, and you guys can post it up. But yeah, I, I could be convinced. <laughs> oh, that'd be cool. All right, that would be, right. that would be our, sweet. Our people we'll, we'll talk to your something. people. Yeah, well, we're gonna work on something here. So the legend, the legend as told, you uh, you did your first event was a Tales pre-release. Um, yeah. From there, you you broke the game immediately and discovered Briar, and you have competed at the highest levels of Flesh and Blood ever since. And it seems like uh, Flesh you've taken to Flesh and Blood. I I wouldn't say more than Magic, but it does seem like Flesh and Blood has uh, availed uh, greater opportunities. Uh, to you in terms of high level competition and subsequent victories at those highest levels what about flesh and blood uh as as the as a game system do you think is uh, allowing you to thrive in this environment as opposed to uh uh grinding the scg tours uh, in magic right um well let me start off by saying i don't think there's anything inherently special about myself i think there's a lot of great players, you know, in Magic and Flesh and Blood that are doing roughly the same things to even better results. You know, Michael Hamilton comes to mind, Michael Fang, uh, the runner-up at Nationals. So there's a lot of great players, and I don't think I'm special or did anything special or anything like that. Um, I think it's just a kind of a, a recipe of right place, right time. Um, you know, finding the Briar deck was almost an accident i kind of just drafted a really good or i guess had a really good briar pool to begin with and i've approached magic and, and flesh about it the same way i'm a very first principle thinker i actually have an article on that coming out on on channel fireball hopefully within the next week or so where i kind of try and break down uh flesh and blood to its first principles and then you kind of build up ideas from there and you know and I, I don't think, you know, I, I did anything different from any kind of game I've played 
I've always had, you know, mid-level success in, in a bunch of different games. You know, I used to be a grandmaster in StarCraft II and all, all three servers, Europe, Korea, and North America. I was signed to Complexity Gaming for a little bit. So it's it's more or less the same process applied to different games. And in a game like Magic the Gathering that's been established for years and years, um, it's, it's really just a numbers game, right? I, I think my win record is actually roughly the same between Magic and Flesh and Blood. Like I'm hovering close to around 70%-ish uh, in both games, uh, maybe a little bit lower in Magic, but at a very good, good level uh, win percentage for cards, right? Even the best players in the world, uh, you look at like Huey Jensen, Reed Duke, et cetera, they, they all hover around 65% uh, win rate. And to get noticed in card games, it really is a combination of longevity more than anything else because you need to kind of play enough events that you get enough top eight results that then gets you noticed. So uh, it's just a matter of sample size, I think, and I've, I've definitely had a good run of luck in Flesh and Blood. Like, I'm not going to deny that, right? Coming ninth, second, and first in, in your first three events is just, like, I would be I would be so egotistical to think that it was anything I did uh, and not just a good run of luck. So if we're being honest, I, I honestly think it was right place, right time. I kind of stumbled into Briar because of a really good, you know, pre-release slash draft that I was doing at the time and kind of gave me that spark of an idea. And then, you know, just a run of good variance has kind of put me in the position I am now for flesh and blood uh, compared to magic. Definitely a hell of a start. I'll tell you that. Adam, what what is your win percentage in Flesh and Blood? I off the top of your head. I'm probably sitting somewhere you between fifty five and sixty percent, I think. Because you're still in your top what are you, top five in XP? Something like that, lifetime? Are you still hovering around there? Ooh, top five lifetime XP, no. Uh I'm top Over forty here. I'm top forty two lifetime XP. Oh, all right, all right, all right. And then I gave you too much credit, I'm sorry. No, my I think the best claim I have is that I was just number one in Canada for a good few few months. There you go. There you but, go. I don't know what my my win percentage is like fifty percent lifetime. I'm I am Mister Five Hundred. That's every <laughs> event. I I win half my games. That's 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 my claim to fame. Uh, so the the meta uh post you know leading into to New Jersey. Thankfully, thankfully we got our 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 ban announcement a little earlier than we were initially thinking and people got a bit of time to prep but like how do you feel about the meta how did you feel about the meta going into to to jersey i know a lot of people weren't you know the most happy about it even i myself was hoping to see starvo be a little more dealt with um but despite that you know some people found some ways to make some really interesting decks shine i think you know especially kano being probably one of the, the the dark horses no one expected yeah it was definitely an interesting metagame uh, i don't mind it actually um i think it gets a lot more flack than people uh or that it maybe actually deserves i think um all the matches are fairly interesting there's a lot of play to the starvo mirrors um there's three decks that are completely viable and then plus or minus kato if you if you believe it's a viable deck um so there's uh, like three good decks in the format that anybody could take a tournament down with and uh, i spoke about this previously you know on multiple different platforms but even in the healthiest you know magic metagames because we love comparing this game to magic the gathering uh you know there wasn't always three top decks at any given point a lot of the times there was one maybe two decks 
And then there was like weird metagame calls from week to week, which you could easily say existed in this format. So I didn't mind it too much. Um, it got stalled pretty quickly, which I think will happen because the player base in this game a little bit more advanced and card games have been around for a while, right? It's more of the applying the same kind of formula to a different or a new game, uh, just with a smaller card pool. So I think until we get a larger card pool, we're going to see a lot of this like very quickly solved metagames and people might be disappointed that their Azalea or Reinar aren't, you know, completely viable even after a shakeout, which no, no offense to those people, but you know, it's a different kind of environment when you're playing at the pro tour level than when you're playing at your local armory. And that's just kind of the nature uh, of the game we play. Um, as for Kano, was I surprised about its breakout? Uh, yes and no. Um, as somebody who's played against a fair amount of Kano, you know, I've always kind of had Arcane Barrier 3 in almost all my deck lists I've ever posted, even the one that I won the pro quest with at the start of the season back in February. I posted my exact 80. It had Arcane Barrier 3. Um, to me, it's a deck that I think is only good if nobody respects. And I'm never the type of person that likes to be caught with my pants down. So um, if you were me or if you were following me or running any of my lists, you'd be running the appropriate amount of Arcane Barrier and it probably wouldn't have you know, had some success if there was like clones of me in the room, but the, you know, hedges come at a cost, you know, that's just the nature of a hedge. And a lot of people were hedging against Kano this weekend. And uh, not only that, but they were kind of not properly playing against it either. And we kind of saw that when you watch the earlier feature rounds compared to some of the better players in the top eight or later rounds, when they were activating Crown of Seeds, when they were choosing to Arcane Bear, really makes a difference not even just needing more arcane barriers so it was probably a deck that came out of nowhere a lot of people hadn't played against before we're playing um not so well against and you know that'll happen from time to time now that kano's made a, a kind of appearance in the metagame we're going to see this like huge overcorrection where everybody's going to have arcane barrier three for the next year or so until you know, everybody's like, well, what happened to Kano? Let's start cutting back. And I, I predict this will happen again in about a year or so. <laughs> we all forget about what just happened at the Pro Tour. The uh, the guys at Arsenal Pass say that it doesn't matter how much Arcane Barrier you have. Is, are they are they lying? I don't think they're lying. I mean, everybody, I mean, that's the beauty of card games. I think everybody has their own opinion. And, you know, I could definitely be wrong and I could see myself being wrong. But, uh, um, it's just flesh and blood right now until they start adding permanence and so forth. It's, it's very much a game of math. And you can actually sit down and kind of go through various turn cycles and combination of cards. So if you sit down and math out what their you know best turns look like, what's their worst turns look like, and then figure out the averages in between, you can start lining up decks. Well, I'm talking specifically here into you know Star versus Kano when I was thinking about it, or Chain into Kano because uh, I was thinking about Kano in the context of the Pro Tour. Um, it doesn't quite line up well, especially if the Chain player or, or Starvo player knows the correct cards like like Wildfire to to kind of um, to kind of counter or start Arcane Barriering. Um, the most damage they can do is is significantly less than the, than the Chain or Starvo player's uh, output. So um, it's not that I think the Arsenal Pass... Uh, guys are wrong. I think they're absolutely phenomenal people, very smart at the game, as you could tell by their uh, can of success over the weekend. And they're very, you know, amazing wizard players. But we definitely disagree, I think, on, on that fact. But time will tell. You know, if they continue to win with Kano 
into arcane barrier three metagames as people get you know more proficient playing against it i'll be the first one to admit i was wrong well you know what i i've been experimenting with the the kano deck a little bit since uh since uh last weekend and i i will say this i was up into a prism on 38 health full hand of cards uh ab ab2 and a shield up and i still managed to punch them all the way down to one so i think there i think there's something there uh with uh, this combo that they figured out yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna hate the next like six weeks. That's that's what I'm getting from this. I'm gonna just filthy wizard players all over the place. I will say work. this though, I hope for the good of the game that the Arsenal pass people are wrong. Like if for nothing else, like put my ego aside or put whatever else aside, the math, whatever. If Kano is the best deck in the game, and I've said this before, it is not good, right? It is not a very interactive deck. Yeah. It's gonna lead to very degenerate play patterns and i don't think it's going to be overall healthy for the game so for everybody's sake i hope that they're wrong like yep. forget you know my feelings or whatever put it put it put that aside i agree uh there there needs you know some amount of threat of kano keeps the game uh accountable but uh kano like that is is very dangerous for the health of our game all right, Tark. Uh, leading up to the Pro Tour, you uh, the uh, Channel Fireball released documentary footage showing uh, uh, the debut of uh, Team Dragon Shield, which consists of uh, Rob Seigel, Matt Rogers, Nick Butcher, and yourself. Um, how long has been the formation of that team been in the works? Yeah, that kind of has been a more recent development. So I met Matt Rogers for the first time at the calling Dallas, and it was really kind of a fluke meeting. Uh, he was friends with Rob, I guess, from doing some online tournaments and stuff uh, when the game was fairly new. And uh, when he came over, you know, Rob was one of the people he knew in North America. So they were naturally hanging around a lot. And we actually got dinner the, the very first night when I flew in um like a nice steak dinner and and rob invited me along and, and matt was there and that was actually the first time i met matt and it was quite a funny dinner actually because i had briar i just built the briar deck at that time and matt and nick who i didn't know at the time were working on what we now know as the viscerai otk list so it was funny because you know we got a couple of drinks and so i think matt let slip or i think rob let slip that you know, oh, Tarek has this really awesome deck, and he and he and he broke the format, and it's it's really cool, and you know it'll be really fun to play at Nats. And then Matt perks up, and he's like, oh, I wonder if we're, we're thinking about the same deck. So it was we had that like fun little back and forth at dinner where we kind of both thought we broke the format, and it ended up being like two really good decks that are now both banned. It's uh, so funny, funny enough. Um, but so Matt and I met in Dallas for the first time, and. You know, he comes from a magic background too. And I, I can't speak for Matt, but uh, I think we clicked, uh, you know, after the first meeting or so, you know, we, we think about the game in very similar ways. Um, the way, you know, I kind of talked about it or he talked about the game was the ways I was kind of approaching it as well already. Um, so we made friends, I think, in Dallas uh, and he lost to a team draft to me. So he's in my owing. He's, uh, he's in my debt forever. Um, but yeah, so after that, we became friends. We hung out more in uh, Cincinnati. And then I had him over at the Nationals uh, when he was in Orlando because uh, I live in Orlando. So I let him crash at my place. So 
from there, uh, we started playing, testing more for indie. And uh, Matt told me, he's like, hey, you know, um, there's this opportunity, Dragon Shield, uh, da-da-da-da-da. Are you up for it? And, you know, I said, sure. Um, I'm not normally the kind of guy that goes out and looks for sponsorships or does anything like that because I play games primarily to have fun, not make money. I've always kind of joked with my friends that the highest EV I could make is just not going to a card tournament, right? Like if I cared about saving money or maximizing my value, I just wouldn't play. Um, but I said, sure, you know, sounded like a really fun opportunity. I really love their product. Uh, it's not like, you know, um, I'm using a competitive sleeves. I'm not going to throw shade at anybody, but it's like I use Dragon Shield, you know, for years and I'm, I would continue to use them whether or not I was sponsored by them. They just make quite literally the highest quality TCG product on the market. And, you know, everybody will know that. So it was kind of a no brainer for me. I've loved working with them so far. Um, their products are amazing. You know, they've hooked us up with some awesome stuff. The video was awesome. I had a great time in Jersey. So it's been nothing but sunshine and rainbows and lovely pops so far. <laughs> I know you posted uh, the uh, 983 Media has your vlog up parts one and two. So I don't want to rehash entirely, uh, you know, stuff that you already covered there. But I am interested in, in the testing process that you guys uh, went under in that last week. Uh, leading up to New Jersey, uh, you know, co- coming into the Airbnb, Airbnb, how, like how many hours a day are you spending, you know, playing cards uh, amongst the four of you leading up to, uh, leading up to the tournament, and what happened with Knickknack Brick a Brick? <laughs> All right, so we'll start from the the beginning, I guess. Uh, we spent quite literally from the moment we went up, with the exception of us eating or grocery shopping or whatever, until when we went to bed, we were playing games. Um, leading up to the tournament, I try and be as open as possible. I'm not the kind of person that really kind of obscures information. And, you know, people, some people gave me shit about knickknack and, you know, was I trolling? Was I not trolling? And we'll get into that in a second, but I was not. And I was very vocal, even on my, uh, Twitter spaces that I thought the top three decks were going to be Bravo chain and prism. And, you know, in those kind of, um, you know, representation, the percentages would be in that degree. Bravo would be the most uh, played deck followed by chain followed by prism. And I ended up being right. Right. It, it was that. So I was very open. Like, this is what I think the top three decks are. And in my article, I even kind of go through the breakdown on why I didn't like prism, which I got crap for why I like chain and why Starvo, you know, took a hit and may not be the best deck, which I was also, I think kind of right. Even like going into these pro quest seasons, Starvo was, you know, still is the top deck. But Chain is, like, right up there with it, right? I think you can make a very reasonable argument for saying one deck is better than the other and not be wrong in, in either direction. But um, so going into it, um, like I said, uh, I was actually testing a lot of Prism. In in the podcast that I had with Tyler Horspool and, uh, and Brendan, who both played Prism, I believe, at Indianapolis, they were both like, ah, Prism's unplayable, Prism's unplayable, which is ironic because Tyler ended up playing Prism at the Pro Tour. But uh, I was actually testing Prism at that time. And because I, you know, for the same reasons, thought, okay, if it has a great Starville matchup and I can figure something out versus Chain, this deck's going to be a really good position going into into the Pro Tour. Um, unfortunately, you know, be it the players I play against or whatever, um, what I found was, you know, just being a Chain player, 
I could not be chain period and and vice versa. When I play chain, I could not lose to prism. It was such like a lopsided matchup that if I thought chain would be in any form or capacity at the pro tour, I just did not want to be sitting on the prism side of the board. And then, I, you know, I talked about in the article, I'm like, well, that might be okay from a purely expected value point of view. If you believe that Starville is going to be 50% of the meta and you have like an 85% win record, because even if you're a dog versus chain, then your overall EV might be higher if you have such a good Starville matchup. But during our testing process, we weren't even favored against Starvo. If anything, our testing showed that Prism was unfavored against Starvo. Um, you know, so if we're not really consistently beating Starvo, it might even be a slight dog or at best a coin flip, and we're getting absolutely destroyed by Chain and the mirror is the mirror, you know, why are we playing this deck? Where's the edge? And I, I tried to express that in my article. And I had multiple prison players come up to me all week and be like, you're wrong. Like we crushed Starvo like that. So, uh, I mean, I wasn't trying to, you know, I got accused for like trying to manipulate the metagame and I wasn't even, but uh, that's my honest to gosh truth. And uh, I lost to two prison players in the pro tour itself, but I think I went undefeated against prison the rest of the weekend, including the recent pro quest I, I played at. So um, I think my overall win record has been like 80% against Prism all through testing and, and Pro Tour and the calling as Starvo. Um, but then, Tad, to your second question, what happened to Nick Nath? What happened to Chain? So I was firmly in Chain going into our week of real-life testing in New Jersey. And uh, I talk about it a little bit on the blog, too, um, that you know Chain was in my deck. And I, our friend Joel Repta from Canada actually joined us as well. He was the calling uh, Orlando runner-up. So him and I were on chain. Nick Butcher was pretty firmly on Starvo, and you know I don't think he was going to jump shit. And Matt was kind of 50-50, but he he was leaning I think more towards Starvo at the time. And Rob, being a Guardian player, was also on Starvo. So you know we were running games into each other, and at first it was very much a coin flip, right? Neither side had a significant edge. Maybe Chain had a slight edge, but we ended up making a couple of changes. We started adding pulverizes to the deck, so we were playing like three cripple, three oaken, three spinal, and then two pulverize. So we had like eleven on hit effects, and then they were running like tectonic plate and uh, stalagmite, and just the combination of the fridge plus eleven on hits were changing the dynamics to the point where I was literally getting crushed, crushed as chain trying to race Starvo, which is not a good position, right? And then as a chain player, you also have to hedge against fatigue. You know, your opponent might just be fatiguing you. They might not always be racing you. So the combination of one, not knowing what my opponents would kind of be doing going into the pro tour and two, losing almost all of our matches in testing, I had to, you know, I couldn't in good faith stay on chain because I felt like our team Starvo deck had figured out the chain matchup. And I think all of us, went almost undefeated all weekend against Chain. We might have dropped one game. I know I went like 4-0 against it. Um, but I think somebody might have lost the match somewhere. But by and large, our record was just amazing against Chain. So, um, yeah, I mean, I wanted to play. If I played Chain at the Pro Tour, it would have had a knick-knack brick-brack in it because I still do think it's way easier to fatigue a Chain than it is to race it. I actually think it's a losing play pattern mm -hmm. to try and race chain as as we saw right the the winner ended up beating uh isaac uh in the semis and then beat another starville player in the finals by easily out racing it so uh yeah yeah no it did turn out to be be the thing and now they have uh with fatigue they call it fatigue prism uh is making its rounds i know steelford just won a pro quest off of that and i know 
I think him and Tyler Horsepool were on that kind of uh, that kind of build, shifting right into uh, just a full block fatigue build to stop chains, and they were relatively successful with that. Obviously, uh, not yeah, everybody but... can make the top eight, but. That blows my mind, honestly, because that was the first thing I tried actually when I was prism. Because I went back and I watched, you know, all of Calling Vegas again, just because they were fatiguing them then with right, Seeds of right. Agony, which like also just blows my mind because I don't know how you ever get fatigued with Seeds of Agony and and Riftbind in your deck. But you know, my conclusion was the chain players weren't playing as optimally as they needed to uh, during that calling. Um, and in my own testing, you know, I told my friend, I'm like, you just try and fatigue me and i won't even sideboard particularly weird like i bring in the time snaps and the eclipses is like the standard hedge against any deck that can fatigue me be it dory or prism or whatever and it just like wasn't happening like it wasn't close without crown of seeds the arsenal card is no longer a block unless it's a d react already so the max they can block for is four times three or 12 plus minus like two to three uh depending or not if it's unmovable or if it's soul shield but even then it's like if I don't have a six power attack. Like if I'm not going tall, I'm going wide. The D reacts don't actually block for their, their full amount. So uh, I'm not sure how they're pulling it off, but uh, you know, I, I couldn't get it done. And the prison players I played against, you know, when I told them to fatigue me, couldn't fatigue me. So um, I don't know, maybe it's viable and I missed something. I got to go back and revisit it. Um, do you do you think that um, well? How much of a factor do you think that kind of uh, you, you know you you weren't the only one that you know pivoted late into into the deck? How much do you think that impacted uh, you know the player base coming into the pro tour? That whole that whole unease, last minute decision kind of swap. Uh, did you see did you see what felt like a lot of that uh, over the weekend? Uh, kind of inexperience into major meta decks like that no i think everybody who played at the pro tour put in a good number of reps against the top three decks i think it was widely known that the top three decks were going to be the top three decks prism starvo and chain in some capacity what i think was surprising was the amount of prison players that ended up coming um you know in my testing i made the false assumption that other people would come to the same conclusions as me which is isn't the case in tcgs and i know that going back retrospectively and i told myself that even going into this pro tour that there will probably be like a huge amount of prisms that would just play prism but then you know in the back of my mind i'm like oh there, there's no way that could happen you know people will test this matchup and matchup, and they'll come to the same conclusions i did but they didn't um and I believe there was, was there one prism in top eight? I can't even remember now. Or none, right? There was two Kano's, three Starvo, one Chain, one Briar. That sounds right. I think there was a top eight in the calling. Oliver, Oliver Phi, I think in top the calling. eight. Yeah. yeah. But not, yeah. not in the Pro and Tour, right? Not in the Pro Tour, I don't yeah. believe. So I um, think it was one of the worst conversion rates among decks there for how mm -hmm. popular it was to no top eights. Yep. Um, what would you, is there, how did the weekend go overall? Is there anything about the weekend that you would change besides the win loss record? Anything I would change. Um, I'd probably play like one less D react and one more elemental just to make my prison matchup slightly better. Like basically mm -hmm. the current list I am now, yeah. but otherwise, no, I was like extremely happy with where we ended up on, on our lists. Um, you know, I lost uh, a mirror, like mostly mirror matches over the weekend. And 
given the nature of dominate, there's just sometimes there's nothing you can do. And, and that's just the nature of games we play. Right. I talked a little bit about it earlier of, you know, 65 to 70% win record is phenomenal in card games. And, you know, going into tournaments, like I'm not sure how many people are aware of this, but let's say you're, you're way above that 65% market. Let's say you're cracked out of your mind and you have a 90% win record. You are still not likely to top eight an event right? It is mathematically improbable for you to top eight of an event, even with a 90% win record. Um, and so going into these things, it's like it mathematically people are set up to fail. There's only going to be eight happy people out of all the people that went to Jersey to compete at the end of that weekend. And even then, if you're hyper competitive, then you might not even be happy if you just top eight, but the system's kind of built to fail. So the best you can do is kind of play your best, you know, try and strive for that perfect tournament and, and hope you don't make results. But uh, in that regard, you know, I'm kind of upset with myself. I made, you know, two key mistakes uh, throughout the day. Uh, one in the pro tour, one in the calling that costed me a top eight in the calling. I finished uh, 11 and three or 12 and three. I can't remember how many rounds there was uh, to miss the top eight of the calling. But uh, otherwise the, the weekend went well. I actually ended up day twoing uh, at four and three in the pro tour. But given how the tiebreaker system works in Flesh and Blood, I ended up dropping from the Pro Tour and joining the Calling, which is a little bit, not disheartening, but one of the things I don't like about the LSS tiebreaker system is that if you lose early, you're functionally dead. And the way it kind of broke down was if I went undefeated during day two, I would only have like top 16, I think. I would have been probably like 10th place, like not top eight. And had I went 6-0 and then lost, I, I would have cashed. And had I lost any round earlier than that, I may not even have cashed at, at X4 or X5. So um, it was just purely a, you know, a choice I made you know, because I was just dead for any prize that was relevant. So I played the calling. Um, but that's not the kind of person I am. Like I really like to bring back tournaments because I honestly believe that variants can happen either early or late. And I like to kind of see that, like, if I lose early, is it because I'm playing bad or is it because, like, I just got a bit unlucky and it kind of comes back my way and then I, I win out. So if it was up to me, I really wanted to stay in the tournament, but I got kind of convinced by my teammates and so forth to drop and play the calling. So I ended up dropping even after making day two and playing the calling. So you're just coming off of a a ProQuest win after we've kind of seen the the pro tour unfold and kind of establish our our meta what what do you think i, I know we kind of chatted about this before but like i guess what do you see uh season two of of pro quest unfolding like like is it i know we said kano probably doesn't have the legs but what about what about lexi uh is it still or is it still a starvo dominated meta I think the metagame will stay roughly what we saw it in Pro Tour. I think there will be a sprinkle of Lexi and Kano players um, going forward. But I think both those decks kind of have rough matchups into the more popular decks, especially if they come prepared or start testing against them. I think their biggest kind of factor leading into Pro Tour was a lot of inexperience on what the decks are trying to do and the angle of attack of which they'll take. But as those decks become a little bit more familiar, you might see them drop off a little bit. I mean, I hope that's not the case. I hope we end up with a five, you know, deck metagame. But uh, I think ProQuest 2 season, if I believe it's going to be the same, right? Living Legend doesn't take place until the week after Vegas calling. 
And I think that's the end of ProQuest season. So I think the ProQuest season will end up just kind of being the Pro Tour metagame. And I'd be surprised if it deviates too much. But I think what's more interesting to talk about is what the metagame will look like after the rotations. Because I've heard some mumblings that Chain has reached Living Legend, which I, I haven't actually worked the math on myself, but it's flirting that line. I know after the Pro Tour win, Close. and now we have an entire calling season, we have a Living Legend, or we have a situation where Chain can also reach Living Legend with Starvo. And I think mm. if that happens after Vegas or, or whatever, I think it would lead to a, an extremely interesting metagame and kind of one that a lot of the player base kind of hoped for because now we have a situation where Briar is heavily neutered, right, because of the erratas. We have Viscerai that's heavily neutered because of the last bannings. We have Chain completely out of the picture if it hits Living Legend. We have Starvo gone, and we have Prism keeping in check a lot of the really, you know, old and fatigue kind of Guardian-style decks. And Prism's the type of deck that I think is healthy for the game as long as it doesn't become, you know, too oppressive with the auras or there's a healthy amount of aggro decks because it can be hated out by a lot of decks. So, like an aggro dash deck or, um, like, just even the the Broomblade decks now, even neutered, still absolutely crushed. Uh, Prism, excuse me. So, Mm -hmm. I think if, if Chain exits the metagame along with Starvo come, you know, three weeks from now, I think we're going to look at a really, really, really fun metagame, especially with the release of Icelander and then some of the other heroes that we don't fully know yet. Uh, as long as they don't push an existing archetype over the edge, I think we're going to go into a, a format where you could play like one of six or seven decks. It's going to be really crazy to see what happens. We do have, looking at the Living Legend leaderboard right now, Chain, uh, I don't know when the last time this was updated, uh, uh, May 16th, ProQuest Season Okay, Procrest season two, week one. As of as of the end of week one, uh, Chain has eight hundred and eight living legend points. I believe it's thirty something like that for a Procrest win, um, mm-hmm. something like that. And then we have Prism is actually sitting at six forty. So it looks like I, I think the consensus is that if if Chain is if Chain con- continues on the uh, on the path that it's on, then it should. I believe there's something like 300 total pro quests uh, globally before before the the cutoff date uh, here uh, in the beginning of June. Um, but it d- definitely looks like Chain is tracking towards Living Legend and uh, a Prism with an outside shot S- sitting at 640 would really have to put in some victories. But I do believe at the end of Pro Quest Season Two, it'll be flirting with the end of it uh, as well. Uh, going yeah. into that. Yeah, and, and so I haven't worked out the math fully, and it's hard to know, because what is the 800? I guess you said, what, May 16th, so it was updated right after the Pro Tour? Um, mm-hmm. Right? So, yeah, 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 because that was, yeah, Pro Tour weekend was the same uh, weekend as uh, weekend. as week one of ProQuest season. So the results of this weekend is obviously still live, uh, so they still have to update that, but that should get pretty close uh to it yeah and how do you have the information there how how many points is a pro quest win four i'm looking at right now we got uh up it's been updated to four per event so uh four points per event uh for a a, yeah yep living legend points for updated to four points per event for a win for pro quest Uh, yep so it needs two less than 200 
We're going to do the math real time. I'm going to bust open my calculator. It needs 50, roughly. Yeah, right? That's 50 wins, yeah. The smart people can do that off the top of their head. I'm opening a calculator. Uh, we have... Yeah, it needs roughly 50, 50 wins, or it needs four. to win about... Yeah, 48 wins to get there. Okay, so that's about... And you said there was about 300 pro quests, so... Yep, that is pretty, needs, I, pretty reasonable. Yeah, it only needs to win then about 13, 14% of the pro quests to, mm-hmm. to hit Living Legend, so... You know, definitely could see that as a possibility. I think it's already won like several. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's been ra- it's been racking them up a little bit. Yeah, we could easily see it. You know, hit Living Legend by uh, by the next set release, and I really do hope that's the case because I think if it doesn't, I think Chain will clearly be the boogeyman until it kind of you know rotates. Mm-hmm. And I think it would be a really clean solution to just have it rotate with Living Legend. You know, which kind of delves into the the larger issue of Living Legend as a balancing tool versus, you know, when it should actually take place. You know, I, I think Legend Story Studios should have just gone ahead and retired Starvo now. Because I know a lot of people aren't thrilled with the fact that it's Living mm-hmm. Legend, but it's technically still legal during the ProQuest season. And it's probably going to reach like 1,400, 1,500 points before it actually retires. So it's going to get like Living Legend yeah. in the half. It's got, um, got a lame duck season uh, just to crush crush more people. Yeah, so I, I think I'm, I'm in the camp of people that would rather just see when a hero hits living legend, they maybe use a little discretion and go, okay, you're kind of, you're done, and just put him in the Hall of Fame or whatever, Legends Field or whatever they're calling it. So on June 24th, uh, we're going to see this the release of Uprising. We have the world premiere coming up uh, on the 10th. Uh, what are you looking forward to on the release of Uprising in terms of uh, new heroes, cards introduced to the meta? What do you want to see out of Uprising as as a product and as a whole? Uh, what are you looking forward to uh, into into what what is actually we just found out Road to National season uh, right after the release of Uprising. Uh, a shakeup mostly. I think, and I've been quite vocal on this, I think there's been too long of a gap between draftable sets a year. And I think it's unfortunately going to stay this way. I think LSS announced they're only going to do like one draftable set a year now plus two supplementals or something like that. But I think it creates too much of a lull in the game. So I'm just happy to get another fresh set that we can get our hands on for draft. Because I think a lot of our player base actually likes limited. I'm speaking from a local point of view right now. Um, and even the callings, I know limited Tales of Aria was very well recepted. So I'm kind of glad that more limited play will will be kind of pumped into the game. And I think the game is going to see, um, you know, a, a quite a big pickup in, in the player base as people kind of jump into the limited format and test the new heroes. Uh, the mechanics I'm most excited about are more permanence. It sounds like, um, you know, th- there's that dragon I saw and you know more auras curses i think the game needs more of a permanent style aspect to it kind of like dash has items prism has auras um and so forth because at this point you know every kind of ability is roughly the same you know everything's a modified nimbleism or you know a modified this and modified that and it leads to very deterministic play patterns especially in a game like flesh and blood where you start with a very high life total and you see so many cards throughout the game that you're seeing your deck not once but twice, it leads to very polarized 
uh, gameplay where your bad matchups are, are, are very unwinnable and your good matchups are almost unlosable. And I think permanence kind of changed that dynamic by allowing you to kind of present a, a threat on a different access that your deck may be capable of and kind of shifting that dichotomy of, is it a bad matchup? Is it a good matchup too? Okay, here's how I can maneuver things around over multiple turns, which is one of the reasons I really liked Knickknack Brickbrack so much or Time Snap Potions because it was a way of taking, you know, threats now and bringing them across different turn cycles and presenting them in a way that may be atypical to an opponent. So I think the game needs a little bit more of that. It needs more ways of carrying turn cycles into one another to kind of present uh multi-dimensional threats and it looks like this set kind of has that with with the auras with the dragons and permanents and so forth so i think that's what i'm most excited about does it do anything for you that uh you're going to be able to cast a dragon and put it out there are you are you into the the high fantasy aspect of of tcgs where it really tickles your fancy that you'll be able to do a dragon and put it onto the board so yeah, yes and no. Um, so I'm a huge nerd. Uh, I play Dungeons and Dragons with my elementary school friends. I've been doing that since we were like eight years old. Like you know that that show uh, Stranger Things where they're all sitting in the basement. Mm-hmm. Like that that was literally us. Like at eight years old, like playing D and D. And crazy enough, you know, he's my, my best friends, my two best friends, Jeffrey and Madison. We're we're still playing, even though we live like hundreds of miles apart. They're still up in Canada. We get on uh, Roll20 every, like, Saturday morning, Sunday morning. They have kids now. Um, and we'll play before the kids get up, and then we'll just go about our normal day. So we still have, like, a campaign going. So amazing. I love – yeah, it's it's quite a thing if you think – you know, it's funny because his – so my best friend, his name is Madison. I know I'm, I'm going tangential here. But That's all right. That's all right. This, this, this okay. is my MO. We do tangents. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so his daughter is now – Gosh, I'm gonna get this wrong. He's gonna kill me. I think she's eight or nine years old, which is now two years older than we first met in first grade. So we were six years old. So she is now older than we were when we first met each other. And it just blows my mind that A, I'm so old, and then B, that there's like an offspring of his that is older than you know what I can still remember because I can still remember like our first grade interaction, their second grade interaction. So absolutely crazy. But so, yeah, I am a lore fantasy guy. You know, I love that kind of stuff. Um, but in, in aspects of our card game, no, I, I couldn't care less. Like whether I'm casting a dragon or whatever, I really do think of things in, in first principles. So I'll be looking mm-hmm. at it as like this is three damage over two turns for uh, X amount of resources. Is that worth it? Is it not? And I, I will never be the type of person to play it just because it looked cool. Um, it's like purely I just break it down and. If it's something that's worth it, I'll play it. If it's not, it's in the garbage. <laughs> now, I, c- I could drag you down that path all night, but, but quickly, w- what's your character? What did you roll? Okay, so right now I have two. I have a Barbarian Fighter. Um, it's it's only, I'm like min-maxing it. So I think it's like level two in Fighter, and we're like level seven or eight in Barbarian right now. Mm-hmm. And then I have a, a Warlock Paladin, which for, like, the strict mm-hmm. lore people is, like, very anti-lore because, like, yeah. how can you be both a, a Warlock and a Paladin? But mm-hmm. we found a way to make it work. I'm, like, corrupted and uh, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, all that. So, yeah, we're in the Underworld right now, actually. We're, we're fighting off a demon invasion. But, yeah, that's, uh, that's my Excellent. Yeah, yeah, I could, I, could, yeah. We, I could drag you down that all night. 
So, I uh, yeah, what a we we know you're planning on attending uh, the next pro tour uh, in France here. Uh, beyond that, what are what are your competitive plans for for Flesh and Blood? Um, honestly, I'm just I I don't like setting goals because they're very easy to miss in card games. And I'm just I'm going to revisit what I said at the start again. I'm I'm honestly looking for that perfect tournament. You know, I don't even care about winning or losing. But I just want to get to a point where I can play an entire event, you know, every turn of every match of every game, absolutely perfect. And, you know, that's been a long goal of mine. And it's hard. It's so hard. I remember when I punted my my winning in at the calling over the last weekend, Nick Butcher was watching me play. And I could not tell you, like, I missed such a simple line. And my brain just went like, completely blank you know maybe it was fatigue or maybe it was any number of like stupid excuses i could give but uh, i missed it right i just flat out missed it i have no excuse for it i played poorly and i got rightfully punished and i lost the match and uh, kudos to my opponent he beat me and i remember afterwards thinking to myself like wow i can't trust my brain anymore because it's a really weird feeling for me because like my whole life i've been like very cerebral like i, I love my ability to think and i love just kind of challenging myself and things like that maybe i'm just getting older but i would not have missed that maybe you know three four years ago and it was a very you know humbling moment for me where i was like wow maybe i'm just getting old or you know what's wrong with me right like well how did i not see that and i've had a couple of those events like over the last couple years because when you're younger you're immortal right i recently needed surgery for the first time in my life right so all of a sudden i'm feeling very human over these last couple of years, whereas like you asked me three years ago, I'd be like, I could run in front of a bus and I'd be fine. So honestly, I'm not looking for any kind of events or results. I really just want to play good flesh and blood and just play a perfect tournament. And and I don't care about anything else. I think everything else will kind of fall into place if I can just accomplish that. Are you uh, are you going to play magic? Are you uh, as well now that they've uh, kind of resurrected their pro pro tour uh, schedule, or are you strictly flesh and blood? I'll play Magic. Yeah, I, I've never really kind of stopped. Um, there was just nothing really to play for, but I still cube all the time with my friends when the vintage cubes kind of come out of the legacy cubes. Uh, I've played in modern tournaments locally if the opportunity kind of arises, but. Like like I said, I'm a very much carrot on the end of the stick kind of person, and I know that about myself. And pursuing a carrot is when I have fun or I really feel fulfilled, as weird as that is, even though the carrot is not real, right? And the whole point of the analogy is stop chasing the carrot and enjoy your life. But um, with the PTQ season rolling back up, I'll be in Toronto. I know face-to-face games out there has like a tournament series that's also like linked to the PTQ system some way. Um, one thing that I don't like about it is how kind of confusing it's gotten, uh, gotten like, I've been, from what I understand in America, it's like through DreamHack, and then DreamHack like sells it to local stores or something like, why do they need to make it so complicated? You know, like, why is it a flow chart and a flow chart and another flow chart, but like these flow charts don't line up. Like if you win a magic online PTQ, for example, which is like, 10 times as hard as any local PTQ will play in. It doesn't even cue you for the pro tour. It cues you for like the regional 
qualifier. It's just, it's a very strange thing. So I have to like sit down and maybe get one of my friends who actually played in the, the online pro tour this last weekend. So shout out to them. Um, they did pretty well. And I think they queued for the first paper one. So they're quite in the system still, and maybe I'll have them kind of sit down and, and explain it to me. Um, but yeah, I do plan on playing if the events kind of, if the opportunities kind of present themselves, but I think flesh and blood is way more of a fun game right now. And that will take top priority for sure. Excellent. Excellent. Um, you, we talked earlier about how that you are able to juggle your, your work and your, in your hobby when it comes to flesh and blood. Uh, you are also, you are using an imaginary arm to juggle more balls by getting into, uh, into the content sphere. Uh, you've, you've mentioned that you have several articles coming out with channel fireball. You are making visual content through your vlogs. Uh, you host uh, Twitter spaces on the regular. Um, how how invested are you planning on getting into the content side of Flesh and Blood uh, while you're while you're being competitive? And how has that experience been thus far? Uh, it's been fun. Um, I'm gonna be quite honest. I still don't see myself as a content creator, as weird as it is, and I'm only doing it so far as I'm enjoying doing it. So. Thankfully, uh, James from Channel Fireball uh, reached out to me uh, a couple months back and offered me this thing to do content. And I said I would do it under one condition, that I had no contractual obligations to put out X amount of articles per week, per month, whatever, that I could kind of write per diem and, and do it as I wanted. And I think it's been a really good fit for me because, you know, flesh and blood kind of goes through ebbs and flows of when certain things are interesting, when formats kind of get stale. And I'm not the kind of person that will write something if I don't really believe in it or if I don't want to write about it. And same thing with content, right? I'm just having fun doing the vlogs, the Dragon Shield stuff, uh, you know, talking to YouTube. I've just been a blast and then going on podcasts. So I'm honestly just doing this stuff because it's fun. I, I could not care less about, you know, how many views it gets or, you know, what my engagement is or what anything like that is. Like, I don't know. I don't care. Um, and, and that's the way I like it. Like I'm simply doing it because I'm really, really enjoying it. And if tomorrow it stops to become enjoy, stops becoming enjoyable to me, I, I will just stop doing it. And, you know, that's the nice thing, you know, of not being, you know, hooked into content creation. I'm not trying to be the next big Logan Paul YouTuber or whatever, um, is that I can kind of just do it so long as I'm having fun with it. Um, and thankfully, Channel Fireball is supportive of me uh, approaching it like this. And uh, as long as I'm having fun with it, I'm going to continue to do this kind of stuff. You mentioned that you have you have an article coming up. What what else do you have in in the works that you can talk about? Uh, yeah, it's no big secret. So, I mean, I'm planning on going to the Calling Las Vegas right now. Um, so. That one, because it's a little bit le bit less stressful, you know, we're not testing for a huge pro tour. Uh, it's Blitz, which is supposed to be a fun format. I'm going to try and make a, a more of a fun blog, uh, see what we get up to out in Las Vegas, um, see if I can get some really good footage and make it more of a fun, like, content creator-y, like you see on the more normy side of vlogs and see how that does. Um my article has, has actually, this article specifically, the one I'm talking about, like first principles of flesh and blood. I wrote that actually a while ago. Uh, when Matt first came over at nationals to stay with me, I actually had him proofread 
uh, one of the first copies of the article. And one of his feedback, and not just him, I had another writer friend read it as well, was that it was too, like, scientific-y. It wasn't your typical, you know, flesh and blood article or Magic the Gathering article. It was like, it almost read like a science paper. And that's why I haven't released it yet, because I was thinking to myself, well, how do I edit it without making it sounding like a, a research paper? And I've kind of got to the point where, you know, I don't care. It is what it is. And I know in, in content nowadays, you know, everything's supposed to be bite-sized. Everything's supposed to be catered to ADHD people and, you know, 10 seconds, you know, engagement, this, this, that, that. I just, I really don't care. I really do think this this thing that I wrote is something worth reading and it won't be for everybody and it won't be something that you can just read once and understand it. It will be something that you'll have to read, you know, 10, 20 times and, and maybe get a fraction of it. But I think it is something worth doing. So I'm just going to put it out there as is, as it, in its full, you know, jargon form and let people engage with it and let them not engage with it. But I don't care. I think it's worth talking about. And I think it's a quite interesting topic, right? These are the kind of things that I really like talking about to my flesh and blood friends, or even when I, I deal in academics or science, I really like delving deep into topics. So this is something that's near and dear to my heart. And I think, you know, people that really dive into this game will, will really enjoy it. The people that are looking for like a top 10 cards from this set or what would I play next week may not enjoy it as much, but uh, so be it. Um, and now for, now for the real hard hitting stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, what do you what do you do for fun when you're not working or slinging cardboard? I mean, a lot of stuff. So I'm a big, uh, like I said, I'm a big science nerd. So I read a lot, a ton and ton of news research or you know things that have just come out. Um, outside of that, you know, I'm a huge golfer. So uh, one of the things I'm talking about going to Vegas is is actually the golf courses out there. So I'll probably be hitting the links up there. Uh, diehard golfer. I actually went to the PGA Superstore today looking for a new set of clubs, got fitted and everything. Um, so I might just be dropping two grand on, on some pieces of metal. We'll see about that. Uh, I'm a huge hockey nut. Um, diehard Leaf fan. Unfortunately, we just lost to the Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, you, or local to me. You literally just touched on the next question is who are you going to cheer for <laughs> now, that the, now that the Leafs are out? There's only one right answer. I want to see if you get it. I mean, it's hard because there's people that like my dad is a firm believer and you cheer for the team that beat you so that if they, you know, win the Stanley Cup, you can at least go, oh, we lost mm. to the Stanley Cup champions. But uh, I'm going to be honest. It's weird because I, I have friends that like watch basketball and they'll watch like every team like and they'll watch the NBA finals. And for me in hockey, it's it's weirdly different. Where like I am a diehard Leaf fan. I like bleed blue and white. You know, I lived on the edge when when they were winning or losing and I was yelling at the TV when the refs called that brutal interference call and this and that. But the minute they're out, I'm like my interest just drops off a cliff. Like I will watch the highlights the next day and kind of peripherally kind of glance at the scores and what's kind of generally happening, but I could not tell you the details of a single yeah. playoff game after they were Hockey eliminated. Hockey season just ended, is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> so, how many I'm hours not... do you sleep? What do you, how do you fit all this in? Mm, I sleep a good like seven hours a night. Actually, I mean, I just I I go to bed at 11 p.m., wake up at six, and go about my day. I just it's just it comes down to to managing your time. I think. Like I, I downloaded TikTok at the start of the pandemic and my girlfriend makes fun of me, but I deleted it off my phone because the, like I, I look at the app usage things on my phone 
And like, I was just blowing stupid amounts of time on like these apps. So, you know, I've curbed that. And I think that's opened up a lot of time, but it really just comes down to managing your time. Well, and I think, I, I think the only special thing about me is, is my time management skills, nothing else. <laughs> It's those it's those specialties, right? I mean, if you got if you have a if you have a niche and that's time management, you're gonna excel through that. That's all. That's that's what can take somebody uh, to the stratosphere here. All right, favorite food? Oh, pizza, easily pizza. Like to the point that I think I know pizza better than Dave Portnoy himself. Like oh boy. that guy has nothing on me and, and my knowledge of pizza. Of pizza. I, I know, and that says a lot. Let's just say I was skinny as shit before the pandemic. Can I swear? I, yeah. I hope I can. Okay. I think so. I, you know what, Adam? I've never, I've never even asked that question. Can we? What, what's the deal here? I don't actually know what the answer to that is. Like, you can swear. You can swear. We, All right. Well, we'll, we'll the YouTube algorithm. Yeah, the YouTube algorithm will, will hunt you down and, and yeah, right. Your podcast, but uh, no, I was, I was like super skinny at the start of the pandemic, and then you know, pandemic hit, and I got lazy, and I was working like insane hours. Like when you're an intern, you're I was literally working like a hundred hours a week during the start of the pandemic. It was absolutely insane. And you know, pizza's my comfort food, so I was eating a ton of pizza and then I got I got fat and now we're working it off slowly. So uh favorite food, I could eat pizza every day for every meal for the rest of my life and I would never get sick of it. Does it matter what's on top or do you have a favorite topping? Uh I'm a pl- I'm plain. Like I really like, you know, cheese, basil, and maybe pepperoni. But mm-hmm. I think if you just go crazy on the meat, it just turns into like this soppy oil pie. It, it just, it ruins it, right? A good pizza to me is all in the crust and the cheese and the sauce. And it's like the toppings are just whatever. You can get toppings anywhere. What about pineapple? I mean, that's that's not a pizza topping, right? So oh, why would you put no. He's a Leafs <laughs> fan oh, and he doesn't <laughs> like pineapple pizza. <laughs> all right, well, this has been great. No, I'm just kidding. Um, favorite, favorite place to visit? Place to visit. So, you know, my girlfriend is painstakingly planning our European trip. And we're going for five weeks, actually. And she's like, we got to go this city, this city, this city, this city, this city. I'm like, what do you want to do there? And she's like, explore. I'm like, what what the hell does that mean? Explore? Like, for me, it's like, I want to go somewhere to do something. And if I don't have that already, then why are we going there? So, um, I haven't really been outside North America, I'm going to be honest. So it's hard for me to really give a favorite place, but, uh, Florida is pretty awesome. I've enjoyed the last three years of living here. Uh, the weather is absolutely fantastic, especially for a golf nut like myself. Um, good golf state. I'll give you that. Yeah. I would say, I would say Orlando, Florida has probably been my favorite place that I've lived so far in my life. Jersey's probably a close second because Jersey was amazing as well a lot of people are surprised by that but florida or jersey that's you're a saint is what you are that's what you that's what you're saying there those yeah, two those two yeah. all right movies movies tv what do you what do you watch when you're when you're zoning out and unwinding um i only watch shows that are highly recommended like i don't watch a ton of tv Mm-hmm. Um, so for me to get into a show, somebody has to say, you need to sit down and watch this. Uh, obviously a big game of Thrones guy. I'm way, I'm looking forward to the next season coming out. I think it's dropping in like two months. Uh, the Lord of the Rings series coming out. I'm also super excited about, 
my girlfriend and I just finished watching the last season of Ozark. Um, so that was pretty good. I thought it ended a bit weird, uh, but whatever. Um, movies, we actually just saw the Doctor Strange movie today. So I like liked it. it. Yeah. I liked it. I don't I like so it. I thought it was great. People are like, it got weird and this and that. At the end. I, I didn't think that at all. I mean, I really enjoyed the Loki TV show uh, when that was on a couple months mm-hmm. back. Mm-hmm. And I think this kind of played into into that a little bit, like with the whole multiverse. I'm going to spoil it for some people. I just know, but whatever. Spoiler the alert. Um, theory. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is calling multiverse madness or whatever. But uh, I, I enjoyed that kind of stuff and I thought it was interesting. And I think Marvel, as it kind of diverges from like the first arc to the second arc, we're going to see it drop off from the mainstream. This is my theory now because mm-hmm. it becomes less like on a personal level, right? Like Tony Stark, Captain America, like these kind of heroes are very like, you could relate to them, right? Normal guy becomes a superhero, you know, Elon mm-hmm. Musk, right? <laughs> like these are very like yeah, yeah. normal people. And now it's getting to like really comic booky stuff. I think, you know, a lot of people, we're going to get a lot more reactions like we did with Doctor Strange, but it's going to be very polar either people really like it or they just like my girlfriend was like i just didn't get it i'm like Mm -hmm, okay well mm so i I thought they did did uh uh the illuminati a little dirty on there i hope that's not the last (laughs) time uh we they we we see them do you think it's do you think uh do do you think this is like uh converging into like secret war kind of kind of stuff do you do you think that's kind of where they're heading there do you have any any fan theories I don't because every time I've given one, I was completely wrong. Um, mm-hmm. I, do, I don't know. And I, I'm, I'm going to be honest. I'm going to like, I'm not, I know the kind of basics of the Marvel universe and mm-hmm. I know like the hierarchies, but I've never was like a super in-depth comic nerd and I'm just kind of a That's fan true. and I'm going to enjoy it uh, as they come out and I'll, I'll just go along for the ride. But I will say the guest, ex- uh, the guest appearance of that one, uh, Illuminati member, uh, mm-hmm, the one mm-hmm. in the middle. I'm not going to spoil it for the people, but mm-hmm. I thought that was super cool, and I, I really yeah. enjoyed that. Yeah, so the I, music yeah. with it when the music came yeah. on. Oh, yeah. that was so good. I got emotional a little bit. Not gonna lie, mm-hmm. that was a good one. Yeah, I really like that. And I turned. Here's the worst part. I turned to my girlfriend. I was like, "Look who it is." You know what she said to me? She said, "Who's that?" Oh, oh, like, oh God. <laughs> we have some more movies to watch uh once i get off with you guys tonight <laughs> excellent excellent Tarek, i think i think we've we've covered all all the bases here i think that is is gonna do it for for our interview here adam you got anything you'd like to add no, no. Uh, thank you so much for uh, for joining us, Tarek. Uh, it's been a pleasure to have you. Um, this is kind of we like to give uh, our guests an opportunity to plug anything they're a part of. So this is your opportunity. You have the floor. Awesome. Well, Adam and Pat, you know, thanks for having me on. It's been awesome to kind of talk to you both. You guys are both awesome people. Uh, I don't really have too much to fl- plug. Um, if you like me or don't like me, uh, you can follow me or yell at me on Twitter. My handle is uh, Tark Patel Ten. Uh, follow me over on Channel Fireball, where I kind of write my articles um, and support Dragon Shield. You know they do a lot for me, and their products are just honestly amazing. So whether or not I'm sponsored by them, you should, probably should be using their sleeves and and deck boxes in case either way. So uh, head over to Dragon Shield, get your merch. Um, because honestly, it's just worth it. I don't even have to shell for it. So 
Uh, yeah, that's it. That's all I have to say. All right, time for uh, my favorite part, hashtag shameless plugs. Uh, of course, uh, our, we have our YouTube channel, The Combat Chain uh, YouTube. Be sure to like and subscribe and turn on your bell notifications uh, for the YouTube channel. You can find our podcast streaming anywhere that you stream your podcast, Spotify, Google Podcast, iTunes, etc. Um we also have our our Patreon. Uh, if you feel that you would like to support the Combat Chain podcast, we rec- we encourage you to support us uh, through our Patreon. Uh, every bit counts, and uh, we appreciate every single one of you. Uh, we also are uh, happy to announce that we are part of the TCG Player Affiliate Program. So if you click on the link below uh, and use... Uh, the code the combat chain uh, when buying your cards at uh, TCG player you will be helping us out uh, by doing so you buy your cards anyways so when you uh, when you do so if you click through that link then uh, you're helping us you're helping us out by doing that um, of course you can find you can find us on Twitter you can find myself at Pat Smash Good. You can find Adam here at Fom Tulary TCG and you can find uh, the combat chain at the combat chain. Right, and we do have we have one last thing that we like to do with our guests. Uh, we close out the show every week by saying, "Until next time," and then all three of us in unison say, "We are closing the combat chain," and we do it nice and cheesy. So if you if you would humor us, we would like to do that with you. Yeah, let's do it. We're closing um, the combat chain. Yep, yep. So uh, okay. I'll say until next week, and then we're all going to say, we are closing the combat chain. All, all right, right, let's do it. Yep. Okay. All right, everybody. Uh, that's going to wrap it up for us. And uh, thank you, Tarek, for coming on. And until next week, we're closing the combat chain. Ah, oh, it's like a symphony in my ears. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. <laughs>